strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight we're going to talk about real-life Frankenstein stories. Ooh. You know that Frankenstein is a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that Frankenstein is based on a book. Mm-hmm. But what you may not know is about all the science experiments that sort of inspired Mary Shelley. Ooh, okay. And all of the experiments that Mary Shelley has inspired. Oh, right. Very cool. So Mary Shelley's science fiction novel, Frankenstein, was published in 1818, 200 years ago. It continues to captivate audiences with the idea of mad scientists and successful resurrection experiments. I'm already, I'm already like creeped out. Like, okay, <laughs> continue. It was written at a time when there was news of extraordinary advances in science nearly daily. The hold of religion was loosening slightly. And with the advent of more accessible reading materials, people were becoming more and more educated. It was a very popular topic amongst intellectuals in the drawing rooms and coffee houses. They would talk about the advances in science. In drawing rooms. I know. I want to be in a drawing room. It's like I remember in a college literature class them talking about the group of writers that Mary Shelley was a part of and how they went to these retreats, wrote, and I just think that's really cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and they would write these little stories and tell them to each other. Mm-hmm. And So not only is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein an amazing work of fiction, it's also a cautionary tale about the abuses of science. For thousands of years prior, scientists and philosophers have speculated about how tiny creatures could emerge from mud, dirt, and rotting corpses. Uh, Because without the benefit of microscopes, they were unable to see the eggs that flies and other creatures had laid. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So instead of them using something or an instrument or a tool to see that, oh, there's something beneath the skin or whatever, they just see something coming out of it. Right. Okay, I get it. There was, you know, a lot of discussion about something alive coming from the death or coming from nothing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right? So in the 1831 edition of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the author actually discussed the science that influenced the story of Frankenstein. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the science. Nice. Sometimes weird history is also weird science. Weird science. I in science. I love that movie. All right. So there was the idea of spontaneous generation which is the idea that life could be created without parents, that, you know, something could arise from nothing, such as the idea that a living thing would come from something dead, such that suddenly there's a worm coming out of the ground where it was just dirt before. Mm -hmm. So one famous experiment involved a piece of vermicelli and a lot of patience. The piece of pasta was placed under a bell jar so it could be isolated from outside elements, and it was observed. A piece of pasta? So, But after a while, it seemed that the vermicelli was moving. It showed signs of movement. A piece of pasta? A piece of pasta. (laughs) I mean, we all know the pasta does not move. Mm -hmm. That apparently something had contaminated it. Or my thought, maybe it was just drying out. Yeah, and it shriveled. You know what I mean? Right, like a slow shrivel. They never said if it was cooked vermicelli or raw vermicelli. Oh, big difference. So huge difference there. Mm -hmm. So this concept was taken to the extreme by Shelley. Her Dr. Frankenstein conjectured that the human body, like a machine, if put together properly with the proper pieces, could be made to work. Perhaps a creature could be constructed from parts and brought to life. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than 
what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting, if they have kids, what shapes their marriages, if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you <laughs> listen to podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. That's one of the concepts that she was sort of okay. thinking about. I'm just, I'm getting a lot of visual things in my head right now about like Frankenstein and sewn up pieces of body parts. So the other scientific thing that was sort of going on at the time was surgery. The fascination with human anatomy had really reached its peak right around the turn of the century. In the United Kingdom, a number of private anatomy schools had opened. Within these schools, anatomy professors and surgeons passed on their knowledge, and they would do these very large-scale dissections in theaters. Yeah, like the gallery. Everyone's seen those pictures. Mm -hmm. or these institutions had large collections of anatomic specimens, jars with organs in them and... Things like that. So that's certainly an idea that she drew from. That's and incredible. not only did Mary Shelley draw from it, but clearly all of the movies, mm -hmm. all the Frankenstein films since then have yeah, also no, drawn from that. That's pretty cool. At this time, surgery was actually based more on cutting bits of things off rather than the idea of reattachment. Many aspects, the idea of transplanting material between individuals was in its infancy. Mm -hmm. Like that wasn't really what was going on at the time. Yeah, no, I understand, you know, the whole cutting something off. So it's like if somebody has gangrene. Right. Or, you know, if they travel, they get frostbite, you your right. toes, whatever it is. Yeah. Or, you, you know, you cut your finger off, yeah. they sew it back on. There wasn't the idea that you could take a piece of someone else and put and it put on it, yet. Yeah. Though many aspects of plastic surgery actually were already quite advanced. They actually, there were a lot of discussions about the transplantation of tissue. And apparently in the 16th century, or I guess 17th century, the 1600s, there were a significant amount of duels in which men lost pieces of their noses, which I found really interesting. And I don't really understand how they lost pieces of their noses, but they did. And they would take and use the skin of the upper arm to, to create a new things. nose. But when you transplant tissue from one part of the body to another, you have to actually set it up so it actually develops a blood flow. Mm -hmm. You can't take it away from the blood flow of the arm and just put it on the nose. It'll just die and fall off. Absolutely, yeah. It's not going to just reconnect. Mm -hmm. So they actually did early flap procedures, which is something that still goes on today. Absolutely. My, my father had it when he had cancer on his yeah. face. They grew the piece of flesh that covered part of his nose. They grew it on his forehead. Yeah. Like, so they removed part of his forehead and the skin on his forehead and then kind of patched it up so it can get the blood flow. And then eventually they turned it and flapped it over and they put it down. But then it also had to stay there for a while because that needed to connect. Right. And it needed to kind of flow together. At this time, basically, they would take the skin from the upper arm to create the nose and they would create these contraptions you guys can't see me where they actually had the arm in these weird positions to keep it connected to the face so they could actually take the skin off of the arm and connect it to the face so the blood flow is still going but the arm was attached to the face yes what and they created these scaffolds to hold the arm in place so the skin could attach wouldn't I their mean, hands go numb without probably losing? i mean i don't think they necessarily were like walking around that way <laughs> So I thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh, so it's century, unlikely totally. that surgery was one of the main inspirations for Mary Shelley at that time. But people do kind of think that some of the concepts of that she discussed actually inspired surgeons. 
So the next concept we're going to discuss is something that's definitely 100% present in Shelley's Frankenstein and present in all of the movies. And that's the idea of the spark of life. So in the novel, she doesn't really give specific details. She's very vague about how the actual corpse is reanimated, uh, but she does say the word spark of life. So that's definitely meant to be electricity. Mm-hmm. So in the century previous, the understanding of electricity made tremendous advances. So this man, Stephen Gray, he actually spent his entire retirement conducting these experiments with electricity. And he made a number of very important discoveries, one of which they refer to as the flying boy. So in this experiment, (laughs) he would have a child come in, lay on a platform, and then that platform was hoisted up to the ceiling. And he was charged with static electricity, so much to a point that he would attract pieces of paper and sparks could be drawn off of his nose. So this actually was an experiment that took place before the Frankenstein novel. This was done to a... A child. A live child. Yes. You know, sometimes, you know, you have your the wrong kind of pants-shoes combination. You know, you go to, like, touch the doorknob and you see the little spark. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that kind of... It's like a but static electricity. Was, yeah, but it was enough to attract elements to him and stick to his body. Yes. The image seems to be very inspirational to those who interpreted the story to film. So the idea of the sparks. Yeah. I mean, her imagination is just insane. Yeah, there's a drawing of the flying boy experiment where like the spark is coming off of him and Stephen Gray is sort of waving his arms in the background. And so people think that like sparks flying, like mad scientist waving his hand, a very Dr. Frankenstein-y mm-hmm. sort of Maybe the guy situation. was just trying to get the paper out of his face. So then there's also the flying kite experiment conducted uh, by Ben Franklin. Yeah. Exactly. I love a good kite and electricity story. Got a couple of them. In the films, there's always a thunderstorm that brings a bolt of lightning down and brings the creature to life, right? In every Frankenstein movie, it's like, they have to wait till the weather's just right. And then the lightning strikes. And they open up a hole in the ceiling and it comes through. Yeah. But the whole lifting table, though, that was always a thing because they lifted it closer to the ceiling. So that, yeah. A lot of these, like, small elements that Mm -hmm. sort of help you to see how she sort of pieced things together. So the story of Ben Franklin is that he and his son tied a key to the end of a kite and went flying the kite in a thunderstorm. And then Franklin noticed that the fibers of the string that held the kite in place seemed to be standing up as if by electricity. Though he actually probably didn't do this because (laughs) it would have been really dangerous. So he certainly, I'm sure, had one of his slaves do this experiment. Though it's actually a ripoff of an experiment from Thomas Francois Dalibard, who had actually conducted the experiment in France previously. But we all know that he hung out in France a lot. Oh, yeah, okay. You know. Another thing that he stole, probably. So then there is also the concept of resurrection of the dead, which is another main element that Mary Shelley discusses. So the idea of resurrecting the dead is certainly not a new idea at this point. Throughout history, people have always sort of had those ideas of, you know, reincarnation, you know, people coming back from the dead, passing on to another life. There's always this idea. It wasn't a new, even a new idea that people should resurrect the dead using electricity at this point. It was actually well known that electric shocks could make muscles twitch. This effect is called galvanism. At this point, there had already been thousands of documented cases of electrical experiments on animals. Giovanni Aldini actually took this to the next step. And he actually began to do experiments on people. So he decided that he wanted to see if electricity could be used to revive a person who had been recently deceased by drowning or suffocation. Those were his specific stipulations. Is it, I mean, do you think that maybe he had a different type of thought? Okay, well, this person drowned suffocation as opposed to someone. A natural cause. Yeah. Right. I don't think he wanted someone who had already had an illness. If you just restart the heart, something could happen. But if there was a disease, all the organs and everything like that, then it's a- It's already shot. Yeah. Got it. But to do this, he required fresh corpses. And it's a good thing it came at just the right time. Look at that. 
thanks to the Murder Act of 1751 <laughs> in England, it allowed the bodies of executed murderers to be used after their death to be used for experimentation. Hey, why not? I think that's an excellent idea. So in 1803, a body became available. George Forster, a convicted murderer who had just recently been hanged, his body was quickly delivered to Alvini. Wires were attached to him from a battery to the sides of his head, which is something you see. Yep. It's always to the sides of the head. The muscles of his face were seen to move. His jaw quivered and his left eyelid opened. Well, yeah, you're moving muscle and everything. Right. It, yeah. Right, so muscles work by ion transfer. Mm -hmm. And so what does electricity do? <laughs> it transfers, transfers ions. ions. <laughs> Aldini then opened up Forrester's chest and applied electricity directly to his heart in an attempt to restart it. Now he was hung, right, you said? Yes. Which is suffocation. Yeah, I'm thinking like, did, did his neck break? Or no, I would think it was just suffocation. Who knows? Though his attempts at resurrecting the dead had failed, he had certainly inspired one of the most favorite scenes in science fiction. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's... Galvanism. His Galvini, Galvanism. Mm -hmm. If you look up anything to do with real life Frankenstein, Galvanism is what comes up. It's all about the idea of using electricity to reanimate corpses. Anyway, so then there's Andrew Cross. He began messing around with lightning in 1837. He strung a third of a mile of copper wire all around his estate, concentrating the electricity into his laboratory. He specifically focused on a sterile dish of what he had prepared that was called a primordial soup. No idea what the primordial soup was. But what, yeah, but that sounds so familiar. Why am I hearing that? It's a term that's used when they talk about like the beginning of life. Okay. That it requires a certain ingredient. Ingredients. Got it. Right? Like there has to be something. It's, yeah, it has to be a soup, not a stew kind of thing. Got it. <laughs> Can't already be chunky. Okay. It has to be smooth. After the electricity was applied, he noticed that crystals began forming in the soup. After exposure to a low current for long periods of time, he actually found that mite-like creatures developed and began to move within it. So he was like, look what I've done. I've created life. I made the primordial soup. I put electricity. I created life. Everyone's like, yo, dude, it was probably contaminated. Mm -hmm. You didn't create shit. And he was like very <laughs> loud and very like obnoxious about it. And people hated him. And his neighbors were like, yo, you're going to burn down the fucking neighborhood. And they, like he had to like leave his house. They were just like, GTFO, man. Like, you got to go. So then there is Andrew Ewer. He was a Scottish chemist who was fascinated with bringing the dead back to life using electricity. He actually conducted experiments in theaters full of students where he would stand over a corpse of a recently hanged murderer. Once again, thank mm -hmm. you to the Murder Act. And he would hold two metallic rods charged by a battery to the, the temples of the body. The spectators would stand around anxiously awaiting the what they called the grotesque dance of death. And they would cut like small incisions into various parts of the body and apply the electricity to watch those areas move. Got it. And he would just have these theaters just full of people and do jiggle. it. Just, just doing a dead jiggle. So then there's Johann Depel. He is the man who actually probably inspired the Frankenstein legend. He lived in a castle. He signed his name Frankenstein, though he was actually more interested in preserving life rather than creating it. He was said that he robbed graves, but his goal was to create an elixir of immortality. And for whatever reason, I guess he thought corpses could help him do that. But yeah, so he's sort of the archetype, yeah. right? And then all of these different pieces are pulled from. I love how he signed his name Frankenstein. Right. So then we're going to move into talking a little more modern experiments because this continues today mm -hmm. and throughout the 20th century. So we're going to talk about what they call the doggy scientists. Oh, no. It's not good. If you like dogs, you should probably fast forward 
30 to 40 seconds, I would say. So Robert Cornish would suffocate dogs and revive them using emergency medical care. So he actually did things like doing CPR, doing rescue breathing, you know, chest compressions, applying electricity. So he actually revived two of the dogs, but they were severely brain damaged, which is... Lack of oxygen to dead. Pretty much what... Yeah. A hypoxic brain injury, which is pretty much what happens to people when you revive them. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So he is one of the people who had done those kinds of experiments. Then there is a man, Sergei Bryuhanenko. He actually attached his newly invented heart and lung machine to a dog's head and kept it alive for quite some time as it laid on a plate eating and drinking. My question is... Where'd it go? He ate it. He had no body. Where'd it go? Anyway. It just <laughs> it's a really <laughs> grotesque image. It's not great. But it is, you know, these experiments go on consistently. Then there is a man named Vladimir Dimikov, who was just batshit man. And he was obsessed with creating a two-headed dog. I mean, who isn't, really? You know, I saw that Harry Potter movie, and I didn't like it in that movie, and I don't like it now. Isn't that a three-headed dog? It was a three-headed dog. I mean, they're adorable. I want to see two heads. So he was obsessed with making this two-headed dog. He actually managed to do it more than 20 times, but none of them lived longer than a month. I'm impressed. I mean, it's, it's crazy, and it's fucking ridiculous, but they lasted a month, and he did it at least 20 times? Yeah. So at least he was successful. Right. And now I'm going to talk to you about a man who is the most current Frankenstein. How current? Like right now, current. Oh my goodness. All right. Because you had this like a little smile on your face. So this is actively happening. There is a gentleman, Dr. Sergio Canavero, and he has a plan and his whole life he has wanted to do one thing. He's had a burning desire and a dream. And with his dream, he went to medical school and he's done science and he's done research and he has gone all over the world and tried to make this dream come true. And his the experiment is codenamed Heaven, in which he would like his dream is to perform the first cephalosomatic anastomosis. I'm sorry, what? Yes, you're welcome. For those of you in the back, his dream is to do the first head transplant. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I read about this. Um, right. I read about this. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, everyone's like, you're mad. That's insane. But there has been some promising science uh, coming out of China where they've actually created a spinal cord and reconstructed a spinal cord of a paralyzed animal and actually were able to make the animal walk again. Also, a monkey head survived being detached and reattached. This man, European, wants very much to do this surgery. And wants very much to be able to do this, but Europe is like, we're going to need you to slow your roll yeah. here. And he's like, but he really wants to do the Can surgery in Germany. Imagine if that actually works. I mean, I work at the hospital that just did the first face transplant. I heard about that, So, too. I mean, you know, it met with great hostility throughout Europe, mm-hmm. but there is interest in Russia and China. But you said he wanted to do the surgery wants- in Germany, right? Yeah, he doesn't want to do it under, like, a strict government regime. He doesn't want to do something that's going to be hidden and have a government take credit for his work. So he really wants to do it in Germany. And there's actually a Russian computer scientist who is willing to be patient zero for this experiment. He wants to, what? He's a man who's actually suffering from a severe muscle-wasting disease. Okay. So he's a man who is awake, alert, vibrant, and alive, whose body has, in in essence, kind of turned on him. Yeah. Right. So while he would like to perform that groundbreaking surgery in Germany, it's probably going to be a no-go. But it is still to be determined. That's incredible. So do you feel informed? 
about yeah. the science behind Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, I always thought that it was, um, I mean, I always thought it was a beautiful story. I love these stories and how all of the inspiration came from and like real gallery autopsies and like the like all these things in mason jars and or bell jars i mean and like right. all this and the like platform crazy, yeah, with the kit, like you know there's so many pieces that she took from it's incredible yeah and it's just really interesting that she took those and synthesized it into a really you know very classic science fiction story that has inspired people for two centuries yeah. do you think that's why that movie is coming out now because it is the anniversary Probably. of 1818 talking right now I mentioned weird science before, and I don't think I ever realized that that was a Frankenstein movie mm-hmm. until right now. Sometimes I'm so smart. Sometimes <laughs> so dumb. So that's the story of the real-life Dr. Frankensteins throughout history. Just another notorious narrative. Have a show idea? Send it on over to us along with any questions, comments, or corrections to notoriousnarratives at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram at Notorious Narratives and Twitter at Notorious Tales. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Every review helps other listeners to find us. Thanks so much.